0: If you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. It's a new day. It's a new year. There's new opportunities. There's new beginnings.
1: Probably some new struggles that are going to come this year. Maybe some new mindsets or goals or visions or dreams. But I thank God that we serve the same God. God. With all the new that happens each and every year, he's still the same, and he still remains a constant in our life. Each new year seems to give us a sense of hope, and I think that's why so many of us uh, gather together and celebrate the new year because we all feel a sense of hope. It's like a new beginning. It's a it's a reset. It's like we get to hit the reset button every single year because this is the year that we're going to change. You know, last year had all of its struggles, had all of its things that happened with it. The year before that, had all of those things. The year before that, in 2020, COVID. But, you know, everyone is dealing with something. And every year, when it comes to January 1st, which I think it's amazing, it's on a Sunday this year. But every year on January 1st, it always seems like this is a new beginning. We're resetting, and we're going to try something new. We're going to try and be a different person. We're going to try And be better. But remember what I told you this past Christmas service, this last Sunday. Your goals and dreams will not last, but God's purpose will remain. What I mean by that is goals and dreams aren't bad to have, they're good to have. But they don't last because either you achieve those goals and have to set new ones, or you forget about them. And then they are never achieved and they just kind of sit in limbo of never happening and then they fail. But when you come in with God's purpose and you set goals and you set dreams that are focused on finding purpose with God, that's what will remain. Because honestly, if we truly believe that the God of the universe knows absolutely everything, then we know that some of the goals that we set for ourselves, by ourselves, probably aren't healthy for us. And God probably lets us fail in those things because he's trying to protect us he's loving us enough to not let us go towards the path of destruction and so what today is somewhat about is setting goals for yourself to help you and to lead you towards fulfilling your purpose that god has for you in 2023 now how many of you are good at math we've got a couple So I I did this during uh, the Christmas time. I I was looking through all of the Christmas story and everything, preparing for Christmas, and I I started doing some math, which I liked math a lot more when I was younger (laughs) than I do now. But I, I was thinking about this. For you to be here today, you had to have two biological parents, right? We don't have to talk about how. We just know that you have to have two. And for your two parents to exist, they had to have two biological parents as well. We call them grandparents. Now, in, in the Christmas story, there's 14 generations that are mentioned. There's 14 before Babylon, there's 14 after, and then there's 14 leading up to the Messiah. And Or 14 from Abraham, 14 after the exile, and then 14 to the Messiah. And so I was like, okay... What if we went back 14 generations of people? Just 14 generations of people. Listen to me.
0: 16,000 people had to exist for you to be here in 2023.
1: 16,000. Over 16,000 people. And so if you think... That there's been, you know, there's been more than 14 generations. If you think that God doesn't have a purpose for you in 2023, you're greatly mistaken. Because his design and his purpose was so significant that he purposely created 16,000 people so that you could exist
0: today. And he's called you towards something great. I'll go ahead and warn you. This year is going to be hard. Probably
1: not what you wanted to hear on January 1st, 2023, but this year is going
0: to be hard. It's going to be hard for this church. It's going to be hard for you. But it's going to be great. It's going to be great for those who keep fighting, for those who keep pursuing God.
1: And as much as I wish that this message was going to just be this great encouraging thing for you, For most of you, it probably won't. And I'm sorry, but I have to do what I feel like God's calling me to do. It's going to be hard for me to preach because it's a message that I didn't want to hear for myself, but I needed to. It's going to be a hard message to hear for some of you. But you have to decide today. Today is the perfect day to decide what you're going to do about it. And so, since this is the year of outreach... Today is our commissioning service to go into and step into our year of outreach. This is our commissioning to be sent into our community, into the surrounding communities, into the two counties that we represent in Poole, Kentucky. Isaiah chapter 6 talks about this commission that Isaiah received. And so, Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to read the whole chapter, but don't worry, it's only 13 verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then the one seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand and when she had taken from the tongs of the altar with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I send me. He said, go and tell the people be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of the people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes. Hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And, he, and then he answered, until the cities lie ruined, without inhabitant; until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again be laid waste. But the cherubim and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So as we think about this commissioning. There's a calling. Isaiah is called into something that he likely wouldn't have wanted to do. Because this was a people that were despising and rejecting God openly. And he knew that none of them would listen. And God even told him, no one's going to listen to you. But you still got to do this. And so thinking about moments where I was called and didn't want to, to necessarily be called was when I was growing up and it was in gym class and there were two captains and they were picking teams. That was one moment that I dreaded when I was a little kid. I loved it. I was like, pick me, pick me, pick me. And then when the other team that didn't have any of my friends and they'd be like, okay, who are we going to pick? Don't pick me. I want to be with all my friends. I want to be with the ones that I know is going to lead me to a victory, right? Because I was very competitive. Even as a quiet, like shy kid, I was very competitive, and I always wanted to win. And so um, if I knew that there was a team that wasn't going to win, I did not want to be picked for that team. Why? Because I would have to try harder than if I was on a team of a bunch of superstars for the gym class. Like, we're talking about third grade. So... um, but we, I would say, you know, pick me or, or I'd point at them. I'd say, I want to be on your team. I want to be on your team. And for the most part, I mean, I was fairly athletic. But there were times that I was picked last. It didn't feel good. I know how it feels. And so there were moments as I grew older that I was worried that my friends wouldn't pick me anymore. I was worried that I, with other people in there that I would be picked last. And so I dreaded it. And it was like this eternity of standing in a line, watching your friends pick other people. And so many of us, we fall into the same eternity of waiting for God to call us. We're we're just sitting here and we're like, maybe God will pick me. Hopefully he doesn't pick me last. But if he does, I mean, I, I guess I just wasn't spiritual enough I guess I just didn't have enough faith, right? And so we wait for this eternity. But here's what happens all too often is when we are called by God, we don't put very much effort into our calling or we struggle to play a role and do things other than our calling that make us feel good about ourselves, make us feel like we're actually doing something, make us feel spiritual, but we don't seek God like we do. And if you think for a second, That churches don't struggle with this and churches don't have these people in there where they just go around and they're very involved in a ministry, but it's not designed for them. And God doesn't necessarily want them to be a part of it, but they feel good about it and they can hide in that ministry. That's how churches die. Churches die when they stop seeking God and they start seeking their programs and their traditions and their comforts. And it's like what, when we do that, we make ourselves available to God, but not too available. Like we'll all say, I'm available to God. He can call me whenever he wants to, and, and I'm going to go and do it. But, you know, I do have this thing this weekend. And so maybe, maybe God doesn't need to call me then, but he can call me after. Like he can wait. God can wait for that. And so when God starts messing up our plans, we don't always respond to the call. So it's pick me, but only if I can still win and be successful with minimum effort in my spiritual life because I really need to focus on things that are in my physical life that I can see with my eyes. And so our spiritual side just takes a little bit of a break and we start working on all of our different plans and our goals and our dreams and our kids and our future and everything else. And then we leave the spiritual side behind. The year of outreach is not about that. The year of outreach is about connecting the spiritual realm with the physical realm so that we can put the two together and they can work simultaneously together. It's possible. And you will be called to do big things. But big things require hard work. And you can't just fade around in the background and watch things happen. You have to get down and dirty too.
0: And when you work hard, for things that God desires, the enemy will always,
1: always fight back a little bit harder. As you've matured in your, I know I'm not telling you anything new, I'm just reminding you of things. As you've matured in your faith, you've probably faced things now from the enemy that you couldn't have faced when you are in your 20s. You probably have things that you're dealing with right now that you're like, if I had dealt with this when I was 25 years old, I wouldn't have survived. But it's because you've grown in your faith and the enemy has continued to build and make his attack stronger because he's trying to destroy you. You weren't as strong as you were when you were 25. I'm not talking about physically, spiritually. You probably weren't. We're not Or 5 years ago. You should be stronger now than you were five years ago spiritually. Which means that the enemy is attacking you in different ways. And his attacks are stronger. They seem stronger because you can resist the ones before.
0: But now he has to up his game. And so what we're doing in the year of outreach. Is we're
1: declaring war on the principalities and powers of hell. And war is not comfortable. War causes great fear. War takes a
0: lot of effort. And there will be casualties. But I promise you this. God is with us.
1: And because God is with us, Christ has already won. And so we don't have to fear. We don't have to be anxious about what's going to happen this year. Because we know that God is
0: with us. And if God is standing with us, then who can stand against us? We just got to keep fighting the good fight of faith.
1: But here's the thing, and I think so many Christians across America don't get this. You've already been called to do something great. You've already been called to do something great, because if you've attended one Easter service in your life, you know that there's this greatest story called the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's your responsibility and your calling to go and share it. That's your calling. Let me show you. It happened exactly the same thing to Isaiah. Isaiah was commissioned to go and share about Jesus. He just didn't know who Jesus was because he was there hundreds of years before. In Isaiah chapter 1, the scene starts, or chapter 6, verse 1, the scene starts, and it tells you the time frame. This is around the time that King Uzziah died. And there's a lot of history behind it. I'm not going to get into detail for the sake of time. But Isaiah goes into the temple and sees the Lord sitting sitting on the throne. And as he walks in, he sees the seraphim flying around with all their six wings. And he sees this glory. The temple starts to shake. The, the place fills up with smoke. And the seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They're giving God praise in this moment. And it's a pretty dramatic scene. Now, most of us would probably think, and we'd just be thinking this, that if we walked into Shady Grove and that happened, we'd be like, we did it. We made it. We're in heaven. We're seeing God face to face. But that's not what happens with Isaiah. In verse 5, Isaiah says, woe to me. I am ruined. I have unclean lips. I live among people with unclean lips. And I just saw the king the lord almighty translation he feels he he sees god and he feels ashamed because he had the opportunity to sh- to look at god he feels ashamed and he feels broken he's like i'm not worthy of any of this i, I don't deserve any of this why is, why am i able to see this I, i'm i'm ruined i'm going to be destroyed because i'm so sinful i'm so broken and now i'm in the presence of god and, and in the presence
0: of God, everything everything unworthy is destroyed. It's like, I'm going to be destroyed. But then verses
1: 6 and 7 happen. One of the seraphim take a hot coal from the altar. Where they would burn, burn the sacrifice. And he put it on his lips. He says, you're cleansed. Your sins are atoned for. You, you're worthy. And as he presses it on his lips, I wonder if he felt the pain. I wonder if he felt the heat. I wonder how uncomfortable it was to admit that he was broken. But also how amazing it was that he knew that his sins were atoned for. And this is a great description of what Jesus does for us. A lot of things about Isaiah's calling relates to how Jesus, who Jesus would be, and this is one of them. Jesus would come and he'd sacrifice himself for the atonement of all of our sins, not just Isaiah's, all of our sins. And so this, this thing that we celebrate often, we talk about it at Christmas, we talk about it during Easter in the Easter season, we talk about it a lot in church. It's that your sins are forgiven. And your passion to reach people can only come from seeing how broken you are and how full of mercy and grace God is towards you. If you think that you're good enough to make your way to heaven by works. Now, I know we all say this. We're all like, well, it's not by works. It's by faith. But oftentimes we act based on our works. And we we like to see and we like to look like to others that we're spiritual and that we're involved in everything. But in our own life, we're not taking time to devote uh, our time to, to reading scripture, to praying, to, to practicing spiritual disciplines. And so we go to church for an hour, maybe two if you go on Wednesday nights, and we go home we do nothing about it. We're unmoved. We're unchanged. And that is a life that's only based on works and not based on faith. You don't have faith. You have works. And so if you think that you can make it, Based on where you go to church, how often you go to church, how you serve your church. And you aren't truly grateful for the mercy and grace that God has shown you to forgive your sins. And make it possible for you to have 24-7 access to him through prayer. After you were rebellious and sinful and an adulterous person towards him. You rejected him because of your sin. You nailed him to the cross and he still sent his son to die for you. To raise you into a new life. If you don't fully appreciate that, you will never have the desire to reach people. You will never have the desire to to go and, and share the gospel with people and you will continue to live a mediocre Christian life for the rest of your life. And good luck explaining that to God. The only way that you do something That God wants you to do. Half the time when you're living this type of mediocre Christian life. Is if God begs you to do it. You have to wait for God to beg you to do it before you'll do it. I got to know that he really wants me to. No just go and do it. Here's the problem with that type of understanding. God doesn't beg anyone. He didn't beg anyone to do anything. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 8, Isaiah was one of the greatest prophets to
0: ever walk the earth. And God didn't beg him for nothing. He forgave his sins. He
1: atoned for his sins. And then God doesn't say, Isaiah, please go and do this. Not to say that God doesn't do that in scripture, but in this specific case, God does not say, Isaiah, I need you to go and do this. What he says is, who's going to go for us? Who's going to go and share what we just did? Who's going to go and share the good news of the gospel? Who's going to go and do this for us?
0: And look at what happens. Isaiah begs God. Isaiah says, I'm right here.
1: I'm right here. Send me, please send me. I'm right here. This year, we have to be willing to be sent. We have to be willing to beg God for the opportunities to share the gospel this year. Each and every day of our life. It's not so much about the outreach events that we have, but every single day of our life, we're looking for opportunities. We're asking God, Lord, please give me an opportunity to share the gospel
0: with someone. Help me impact someone's life. Isaiah sees the opportunity. And I think this is awesome, and maybe you won't, but
1: look at the first thing that he speaks after his commissioning. In chapter 7, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. After Isaiah was commissioned, one of the first things that he spoke out of his mouth was a prophecy of who Jesus
0: was. And that Jesus was coming. He spoke about Jesus. We are called to do the
1: same thing. He didn't know. He he couldn't see Jesus. He didn't know what it was like to live after Jesus came. All he knew, all Isaiah knew, was about these broken people that didn't listen to him and rebellious and eventually got
0: destroyed by Babylon. We have an opportunity. Like no other, we know what Christ has done. We
1: know what he can do. And we know that he is going to to lead this church into greater things. But we also have to, in faith, work towards these things. The harsh reality, and this is the urgency that I want you to feel, the harsh reality of the world that we live in is that it's post-religion. It's post-Christian. It's post-church. No one wants to go to church no one wants to be a Christian. No one wants to be religious. The harsh reality is that there are so many people going to hell every
0: single day. And if the church doesn't want to go and reach them, church is the problem. God gave us this responsibility. He
1: gave us a purpose to go and share the word. To go and share the gospel. Was it not clear enough in in Matthew chapter 28? Go and tell the world about me. Go and make disciples. Teach them to obey. Baptize them. He's called us to go and share the gospel. And you want to know how churches die really fast? They stop sharing the gospel with people. And they start indulging and
0: being gluttons of the word instead of going and living what God's called them to do. There's truth when you've heard it before. You're either all in for Christ or you're not. You can't
1: be in the middle. You can't be a floater in the back watching things pass you by.
0: Either you're all in or you're not. It's up to you. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, one of my favorite verses.
1: says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if my only only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Our lives, our church will be worth nothing if we don't go and share the gospel. Everything that we've worked for in the year of prayer, dedicating our lives to prayer, Everything in the year of revival, seeking revival, dedicating everything that we do to find revival in this church, in this community, will be meaningless if you don't share the gospel this year. It will all be worth nothing. And we'll have to start from scratch because
0: this is the most important year. If you don't reach out, it won't mean anything. And so I think
1: as I'm closing, I'm not trying to yell at you. It's just I'm passionate about it. What would happen if a church in Poole, Kentucky felt the urgency and the desire and the passion to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so strongly that they were willing to do whatever it took to make sure that everyone in Poole heard the gospel again and again and again? What if they were willing to reach so far and constantly beg God to use And give them opportunities to change this community by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if right now in this moment, each of us gathered together at the altar and cried out, Here I am, Lord, send me. I know I'm broken. I know I'm uh, I'm damaged goods. But you have made me holy because you've atoned for my sins. You've forgiven my sins. And so, Lord, here am I. Send me wherever you want me to go. There are no boundaries. You just let me know where you want me to go. And in the meantime, while I'm waiting, I'm going to be sharing the gospel with everyone that I encounter. I'm going to go and tell people about all the good things that's happened, all the good things that you've done for me. What if a church came together and said genuinely in their heart, here we are, Lord, send us. We're a broken group of people called Shady Grove General Baptist Church. But we are willing to be sent and we want to be sent. And so we're begging you, give us the opportunity to share the gospel with this community. Give us the opportunity to give you glory because you rightfully deserve it. No
0: matter how hard it might be.
1: Here we are, Lord.
0: Send us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time and this moment. Lord, as we're about to sing a new song, Lord, I pray that each and every
1: one of us genuinely in our heart, pray this out loud. Sing this out loud. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Lord, we don't want to be the church that, that does whatever we want to do all the time. We want to do what we want to do, and we're going to do anything that we can to make sure that we get done what we want to get done, But instead. We want to be the church. I want to be the leader. I want to be the pastor. Who goes before you and says, Lord, whatever you want,
0: whatever will give you the most glory, that's what I want to do. Lord, I pray that this church
1: continues to do the good work that we've been doing the past two years and that we really focus in on. We've prayed We've sought revival, and we're going to continue to pray more and more each and every day. We're going to continue to seek revival for our community because we're going and we're reaching out to this world, this broken world. Lord, help us. Give us the strength. Give us what we need. Supply every need that we need as we go and we're being sent by you. Lord, you asked Isaiah hundreds of years ago. He said, who who will go for us. Lord Shady Grove will go for you.
0: Here we are, Lord. Send us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.